If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter 1 today. We're continuing this series, Explore God. It's a collective effort of churches around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You've probably seen billboards, yard signs, etc. that say explorgod.com. And so during these seven weeks, churches around the area are asking, are looking at biblical answers to seven questions that people often ask about God. There's also a website, explorgod.com. It's well done. You can type in virtually any question that people commonly ask about God, and you can see responses that have been given, sometimes videos, sometimes written, uh, generally well-written, thought-out responses to questions that people have about God. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of the website. I hope that you'll be here throughout the sermon series. Today, the question that I'm dealing with, is there a God or does God exist? Now, this is an important question. Because how you answer the question of does God exist, it shapes what we call your worldview. Everybody has a worldview. It's the lens through which you see life and through which you understand life. And your worldview will shape your behavior. It will shape your values, your relationships. It will guide you into finding life's meaning. So God's existence is a vital question because Where you come down on it will determine your worldview. Now, when it comes to, is there a God, there are five common answers that people come up with. The first would be called atheism. Now, atheism is the position that God definitely does not exist. It's a definitive position. You're not asking questions. You're not wondering In atheism, you're saying, I believe God does not exist. Now, people are not born atheists. Whenever you talk to small children, they're born with a great deal of faith and a great deal of ability to believe in the supernatural. But sometimes along the course of life, people become atheists. Sometimes people guide them and they admire those people. Maybe it's their parents, maybe it's professors, whoever it might be, guide them that way. And so they begin believing in atheistic thinking. Often something happens that they don't understand, that they can't put together. And so they have these questions about suffering and why would God allow this? And it leads them down to atheism. By the way, we're dealing with that subject next week in church. But also if you talk to atheists, very rarely do they simply believe in nothing. Generally, when you become an atheist, you convert to something. And those who are very definitive that say, absolutely, there is no God, they usually have a system of beliefs that is very similar to a religion that they are aggressively trying to convert others towards. Sometimes people who are atheistic will convert to the worship of science. Now, we should say that as Christians, we are not against science. In fact, we believe that in many ways, science is unlocking the mysteries that God created. It's discovering uh, the, the way that God set up His creation. We're thankful for advancements in modern medicine. How many of you would not be here today if it were not for advancements in modern medicine? Quite a few of you. You you would already have passed away. Uh, We're thankful as Texans. 
we're thankful for air conditioning science, right? <laughs> very, very thankful for that. We should not be against science. It's, it's good to study science and to use it, but it's not the answer to all the unknowns of life. Yet some people convert to the worship of science, and they believe that if something cannot be observed, if something is not proven, then therefore it's not truth. Some convert to the worship of government. Again, we're thankful for our elected officials. I encourage you to go out and vote. I encourage you to be a participant in our uh, elective process. Yet some convert to government almost as a religion, thinking that in government we can answer all the problems of society. We can solve all humanity's problems and restore the shalom of creation. And there's almost this worship of government. Some in their atheism convert to YOLO. Now, I've been trying to stay modern and hip, and so I've discovered that YOLO means you only live once. The more technical term for it is hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. And so in their atheism, they seek to absorb all that life has to offer, and frequently life is lived in this uh, subtle yet maniacal awareness that there is a countdown clock hovering above your life that's leading you to the grave. And so you want to absorb everything that you can in life and anyone or anything that tries to restrict your ability to absorb the pleasures of life is fought against vehemently. And so any God that would say, do this and don't do this must be rejected and pushed away from because it's going to stop me from absorbing the pleasures that I desire in life. Those are conversion points that atheists often land on. Now, if you really break it down, atheism is not so much a rejection of a supernatural God as it is the elevation of something natural to the status of supernatural. And atheism, from a philosophical problem uh, position, is weak. Now, think about this for a second. Particularly because many atheists really hang on to science so hard. So if you're going to make a definitive claim that God does not exist, you have to be able to observe that. To observe that, you really have to be able to observe all places in the universe. And if you were able to observe all places in the universe, then you also have to deal with the possibility that God maybe moves around in different places in the universe. So you'd have to be able to observe all those places at the same time. If you cannot observe all those places at the same time, then you cannot definitively say God does not exist. Which has led some who actually think through it and move beyond sound bites or their cause to become agnostics. An agnostic, literally gnostic means knowledge. So an agnostic would be some that, someone that says they do not have knowledge of God's existence. They may say God may exist, but we cannot know for sure. And on the spectrum, you have some that might think that there's something out there. I really believe in it. I just don't know it. And they're, they're pretty far along on the spectrum. And there's others that are just one step away from atheism. They understand the philosophical limitations of atheism. So they say, okay, okay, I'll be an agnostic. God may exist, but we can't know him. There's also a large stream of 
stream of agnosticism called religious pluralism. You seen that? Have you seen that bumper sticker sticker coexist, where it has all the different religious faiths and it just says coexist there together? Well, in in basic premise, the idea that people of faith should get along with one another and treat one another with a measure of respect and tolerance that, that's a, that's a good concept. But whenever you really talk to a religious pluralist, what they essentially believe is that all religions are merely different paths to the same conclusion. And so they would say, it's okay for you to be a Christian. It's okay for you to have a faith, so long as you don't think you're right. I mean, if you think you're right in your faith, at that point, uh, you need to abandon your faith. Now, religious pluralism is, is very, very popular today. And if you really think about it, it is very condescending to people of faith, not just Christians, Muslims, Hindus, whoever it might be, because what the religious pluralist is essentially saying is, you don't know what you believe. You, you know, you, you have these beliefs that you've lived your life, you raise your family with, I mean, you've, you've placed your faith in, but really it's just the same thing as this over here. You just don't know it, and so you need someone who is a little bit more enlightened than you to help you understand that what you think is your faith is actually just a, a crutch that you're leaning upon to make it through life's problems, and your faith is actually no different than this person's faith, and everybody's the same, so let's hold hands and sing. It's condescending those of us that truly embrace the truths of Christianity. There's also a Christian form of agnosticism. It's called deism. Deism is the belief that God does exist. He created it all. He even established within the human heart uh, morals and ethics. But after creating it all and establishing society, God basically said, good luck with that. You're on your own. So to the deist, God does exist, but he cannot really be known. He's an impersonal God who just lays down morals and ethics. And then there are a lot of agnostics that we would call secularist. Uh, there's a growing demographic within the United States today called the religious nuns. These are people that whenever you ask them what their religious affiliation is, they say, I, I don't have one. Now, a lot of times when you talk to those religious nuns, they believe that it's possible that there is a God. They might say, there's a power out there. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's possible. But they don't really think about it too much. And with the explosion of communications that we have in the world today, there are so many diversions and there is so much to do that many people are now spending their entire lives without really wrestling with that question is there a God? Is there something more than just us? Now, a third position would be what I'm going to label pantheism. You might also call it spiritualism or New Ageism. It's the idea that God is the universe or God is a collective energy. So when you talk about God to a pantheist, it's not a personal being. It's more of an impersonal force. They might say that God is the collective force of all of our spiritual energy, and it's the, the energy that is found in our lives together, coming together as one that creates the God force. And so they will use terms like 
Mother Nature in a divine sense. Mother Nature called this. What they're talking about is the universe, the force coming together. Uh, you have the Star Wars theology of follow the force, Luke. And, you know, he follows this impersonal force, and it allows him to do supernatural things. You have the circle of life from the Disney movies where everything's connected, and, and you know, we come from dirt, and we return to dirt, and it's just kind of this interconnectivity of energy and life that is the divine. And essentially to a pantheist, we are all God because God is not a personal thing. God is an energy. And from that energy comes creation and creativity. And ultimately, the great nirvana of life is for you to return to that spiritual state where you once again merge within the life force. There's about several billion people that would fall into this category. There's a new growing answer to this idea of is there a God called ufology. Ufology says that what you think is God is in reality aliens. That aliens came, that they seeded the planet for life, and that they are kind of growing the planet and one day will return to harvest the planet. Some within ufology believe that Jesus was an alien who came to earth and lived among us and that others that might be worshipped in a godlike sense are aliens. You say, now that's kind of far out there. Get it? Far out there. Uh, You say, that's kind of a little bit far out there, but it's a very growing stream of, of theological thought. Now, we're at church, and not just any church. We're at Murphy Road Church, and so uh, here at, at Murphy Road, we embrace Christianity. And as Christians, we believe that God does exist, that God is separate from His creation. God is not just the universe or the energy. God is separate from what He has made. He is the creator of all things. He has revealed Himself to us so that we might know His purposes, His ways, so that we might know Him as our Heavenly Father and we might be loved by Him as His child. He extends grace to us so that we might enjoy a loving relationship with Him. This week, Stacy and I had the 23-week sonogram. For those of you that don't know, we're expecting our fourth child, and so we finally got around to a sonogram. Child one, you're like week 12, you're getting a sonogram. Child four, you kind of get around to it eventually. So we, we got our sonogram this week, and, and we, I, we were sitting there watching the screen, and, and there's that little baby. Ten fingers, ten toes. The spine's all straight. You know, I saw the little heart beating. And if you've ever been there and realized that that's your child on the screen, it is an overwhelming moment. And I think to myself as I see something like that, how can anyone deny that there is a God? 23 weeks ago, that life didn't exist. Now, there's a, there's a heartbeat there. there. There's a brain there. There's a, there's a life there. there there's, my child's there. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, Lash, you're missing a bit of vital information as you discuss this sonogram. So what is it? 
a girl or a boy? Well, lock in your vote, okay? Now's your time to lock in your vote, all right? Either a girl or a boy. We don't do that in between stuff in the Banks household, okay? So either a girl or a boy. Which one do you think it is? Okay. All right, let's stand. Let's. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> most of you would take that deal for me ending the sermon for you. Anyway, but it's a boy. We're having a boy. Yeah, yeah. Camden James is going to be born somewhere around the beginning of next year. I'm trying to negotiate with Stacy that she goes ahead and has the baby before the end of the year so that we can, you know, tax right off and all that good stuff like that. But, you know, we'll see. See if she takes my terms. But now back to our regularly scheduled programming. The Bible proclaims that the existence of God is clearly evident. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and by an unrighteousness of people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. Within Scripture, and, and if you'll read from Romans 1.18 through 3.21, you see uh, Paul make an argument that the existence of God is clearly seen, that One, within our heart, we know that there is a God. Two, as you look at creation, you know that there is a creator behind the creation. And so the argument of Scripture is that those that deny the existence of God are ultimately suppressing the truth that they know is within their heart. Because what is known about God is clearly evident. You see, within our heart, there is this desire to worship. If you go to some of the most remote places on earth places where Verizon doesn't even have a network. You will find people worshiping. Humankind's natural bent is to worship something. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you several reasons why. Number one, because everyone has to have an absolute reality. There has to be something that just is. Psalm 14 says, only the fool says in his heart, there is not a God. We have to have something that is the beginning point of everything. For Christians, we believe that absolute reality is God. Uh, Some might embrace matter or energy as the absolute reality, but you have to have something that just is. Generally, if we can identify your absolute reality, we can identify what you worship. Secondly, creation reveals to us an artist. As you look at creation, the natural conclusion is that there is an artist behind what you see. Think about your favorite song. As you're listening to your favorite song, which I'm sure is Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash, right? As you're listening to your favorite song, there's an artist behind it. You don't listen to it and say, hey, you know what? I I think over millions of years, random noises just kind of came together and made this song. Now, your natural conclusion is because the song has melody and order and all this stuff, that there was an artist that put it together. Well, the same thing is true about the universe and the world around us, that as we look at its intricacies and its design, it's natural for us to conclude that it wasn't an accident that there was a creator behind what we see. Thirdly, truth is dependent on God. 
You see, one of the main reasons why people turn to atheism or agnosticism is because if there is a God, then I would be wise to listen to Him. So if there is no God, then right or wrong can then be reduced to something else. If there is no God, I can reduce right or wrong to my opinion. So whatever I determine is right or wrong for me, that is right or wrong. Now, don't judge me because this is my version of what is right and wrong, and you have your version of what is right and wrong, and your version is no greater than mine because I have reduced right and wrong to mere opinion. Well, some people begin to see the logical fallacies of that because I can hold opinions that are violent, that are hurtful, and so you don't want me to hold those opinions. And so some people take it to the next level, and they say, well, okay, uh, how about law? And the society will come together, it will create laws, and laws will determine for us what is right or wrong. Now, you still run into some major problems there. One, law changes based upon geography. You can be in the United States and the law says one thing. You get on an airplane and go someplace else and the law says something else. So is it right here and wrong there? Was it right there and wrong here? Which is it? I'm thankful for law. I'm not against laws by any means. I'm just saying that they're, they're not the absolute determiner, uh, determinant of truth. There has to be something more because law changes. In our country, uh, majority rules. And so we have this major case that came down uh, a, few, a couple months ago with, with same-sex marriage and five court justices said, Yes, four court justices said, no, that's an awful idea, and, and there's been this clash of cultures, but, but right now the law of the land is that same-sex marriage is, is legal here, but in five years the majority could change again. And so my point being this, that if you reduce truth to whatever the collective society determines to be law, you're always chasing truth, that God gives us something that transcends culture, transcends opinion, God gives us some things that are absolutely true no matter where you are, no matter what time period you live in, transcendent truths that come from God that are just truth. Nine days ago, we remembered September 11th. Whenever we remember September 11th, we see a snapshot of human atrocity. I recognize that there is a tension in this discussion when it comes to the existence of God. And that tension is, yes, God's existence may be clearly evident, but it's also clearly evident that the creation is broken. I mean, just read the headlines. Look around. There's a lot of twisted, perverse junk that goes on. Now, we wrestle with this frequently in my teaching. The sermon next week that Fletch is going to deliver is going to be on why does God allow pain and suffering? So we're going to drill down deeper into this question. But I want you to see today that the Bible does not deny that the creation in which we live is broken. In Romans 1 and verse 28, the Bible says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, so in other words, because they turned to their own way, they denied God's existence and His authority, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And then he describes the society. 
They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Does this sound like a lot of people you work with? (laughs) Folks that have denied God and have turned to their own way. Verse 32 says, although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but applaud others who practice them. The Scriptures teach clearly that there is a universal problem of humankind, and that is sin. We live with sin in our hearts, and we also live in a creation that has been stained by sin. And because of this, the shalom of creation has been broken. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix it? Well, most of us recognize that there are things that are broken. And so some of us determine within ourselves, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be the humanist. I'm going to take on the God role. And even though it's clearly evident that there is a God, I'm not going to acknowledge that. Instead, I'm going to try to fix the brokenness of life myself. I'll be God. Now, I know you guys. I love you guys. Not only do I love you, I like you. But as much as I like you, you make a sorry God. And I, too, make a sorry God. If I were God, there would be no more traffic. Next time I sat in traffic, boom, gone. No more traffic. Everybody would love me until they realized that I zapped their loved ones, and then they wouldn't love me anymore. If I were God, Hershey Miniatures would be a vegetable, especially the Mr. Good Barn Crackle. Those things will just set you free. They're good, aren't they? Yeah. Those would be vegetables if I were God. If I were God, whenever we came to church, we'd just skip the singing and go right to preaching. It'd be great. It'd be wonderful, right? Okay. Uh, you know, you're a nice guy. You're a, you're a nice lady. <laughs> you like that one, huh, Paul? But as God, you don't measure up, and, and neither do I. And so some people say, okay, I recognize that I wouldn't be a good God, so how about we all be God together, and we'll come together as one and live beyond our differences, and, and we'll treat each other well, we'll be fair, we'll share things, we'll have a utopian society, and I don't know, maybe we'll call it communism. How about that? And so uh, that's been tried too, and and it didn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is that no matter how hard you try, you can't fix society's problems because they are not fixed with external solutions because the problem is something that is within our hearts. We have a sinful nature. And the creation is broken because of our sinful nature. And there's also this problem that no matter how many protein shakes you drink, no matter how many miles you run, no matter how loving and kind you are to other people, you still die. The mortality rate in the world today is rather high. And so if you come to the conclusion that there is no God, you ultimately are are left with a random world void of truth that has very little value, has very little meaning, has very little direction. It's nihilistic. It's about as depressing 
as being a Giants fan last Sunday night. It's not a happy existence if you really think it through. So the Scriptures teach us, and in some ways the story of Scripture is the story of how God has intervened into our scene so that we might be redeemed. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Scriptures say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The Scriptures teach that God does indeed exist. He's not a detached deity. That God also loves that He desires you to know Him, and that in His love He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Scriptures teach us that God also reveals that He has gone out of His way to show you that He's here. Now, there are things about God that we don't understand, but if you could understand everything there was to know about God, What kind of God would you have? He would be a pretty small God. God is incomprehensible in His completeness, and yet He has shown us things that we can comprehend. And throughout Scripture, you have the story of the gospel, the story of God. God created, and He created that which He created was good. But into the creation slithered sin, and we all fell into sin. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are all born with a sin nature, and when we are capable of moral action, we too will sin and turn away from God. The world in which we live is stained by sin, and so there is terrible injustice. There are evil acts, all of which ultimately can be reduced down to sin. And yet God intervened into this scene. He sent His Son. And His Son lived the life that you and I could not live. His Son son took on death. You know the story of Jesus, that He was betrayed, that He was arrested, that He was beaten, that He was barbarically crucified. And yet the Scriptures teach us that it was not just the death of a good moral teacher who believed in His cause to the point of death. The Scriptures teach us that on the cross, Jesus died as a substitute He took the death that rightfully belongs to you and to me. He also absorbed the wrath of God, and yet death could not overcome him. He rose again. The message of Jesus is unique in that he doesn't just call you to follow a set of beliefs. He doesn't just call you to be a better person, behavior, external modification. Jesus calls you to believe in him. Whenever you believe in Him, He transforms you not from the outside in, but from the inside out. He transforms your heart. He gets to the root of the issue, which is the sin within you. And He makes you a new creation in Christ so that you might live in a radically different world and live a different life. You say, but I'm still stuck in this world. And in this world, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of sorrow. The story of the gospel also says that one day Jesus will come again. The story of the gospel is not complete until you also understand the reality of heaven. 
and the reality that Jesus says, one day I will come again and I will make all things new. The shalom of creation that was fractured will be restored and healed and you will live with me, not just for the hundred-year window that you call life. You will live with me for all eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. And we are never ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And the gospel offers us love. It offers us forgiveness. It offers us grace, meaning, hope, healing, a new beginning. The gospel is all about knowing and loving God through Jesus Christ. And whenever you believe in the gospel, God no longer sees you just as an individual who has turned to your own way. He now sees you in Christ and you are righteous and you are His child because He sees you in Christ and you belong to Him for all eternity and nothing can separate you from His love. Not sickness, not famine, not even the regrets of your past can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But at some point, You've got to make the leap of faith. Christianity ultimately involves a leap of faith. You can't get around it. It's not a blind leap. God has revealed. There's lots of witnesses, lots of evidence. It's not a blind leap, but it is a leap. Some point, you have to trust. Because Jesus doesn't just call you to believe facts. Jesus calls you to believe in Him to trust Him with your life, with your soul, with who you are. And so I ask you this question, has there ever been that time in your life when you've taken the leap of faith and believed in Christ as Savior and Lord? If that hasn't occurred in your life, I hope it does today. I hope that you admit, yes, I'm a sinner, I'm not God, I have done things that are wrong, and I am believing in Jesus Christ as my Savior I'm asking for His forgiveness. I'm asking for His grace. And I'm committing my life to following Him. Perhaps you have believed in the past. But functionally, if we were to peel back the layers of your life, you live life as an atheist. You have this belief. You attend it on Sunday. But functionally, day to day, you don't live with faith. You live as an individual who has control of everything. One of the calls of the gospel is the call to abandon you as God, to trust in Christ. Faith is not just the beginning point of our walk with God. Faith is also how we mature in our walk with God. As we continue to trust Him through the ups and downs of life, as we continue to trust Him through the sloppiness of relationships, as we continue to follow Him through all the days that we have here on earth with the understanding that we live with Him for all eternity. We place our faith in Him today, and that faith sustains us not just for the, our life here, but forever. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I encourage you this morning, if there's never been that time in your life where you have trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, to please see me today. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'd be glad to talk to you about this. I can also talk with you about it after the service or at another point where uh, you would like to talk. For others, you're a believer, 
But you need to be a follower. You need to place your faith in Christ. To allow Him to reign as God. Day in, day out. Within your life. I'm going to pray and then after I pray we're going to sing this hymn. During this time you might pray. You can pray at your seat. You can come forward and pray. You can sing. You can give your life to Christ anew. I encourage you to follow the Holy Spirit however He leads you. Father, thank You for this time that we have to be together. Thank You that You are indeed real. Help us, Lord, not to suppress that truth. Help us, Lord, to live in that truth. Father, we, th- we are so very, very thankful that You didn't create us and just leave us to ourselves, but instead You have revealed Yourself to us so that we might know You we can call you Father, and you call us child, and you walk with us. And even whenever we bang on the portals of heaven and we ask, Why, 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 Lord? You might not give us all the answers to our whys, but you always grant us your presence. And so we thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us today. And we pray, Lord, that we might have faith in you that takes us through this journey that we call life and ultimately sustains us for all eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and worship. Amen.